Turn in the Bible now to Matthew uh, chapter 5, and that's page uh, 969 in the Church Bibles, and in the Large Print Bibles, page 1505. So tonight we're going to look at verses uh, 13 uh, down to verse 16. But before I read that, I want to just tell you uh, a story of something that happened to me that helps illustrate uh, somewhat, uh, perhaps a bit of a dilemma with this passage. Uh, When I was 16 years old, uh, my Sunday school teacher arranged uh, for me to go on a mission trip to France. Uh, I was going to go uh, to the south of France and I was going to spend uh, one week uh, with a missionary couple uh, in, a, in a church plant, uh, another week in a camp and another week in a different church. And I had a, a great time when I was there. But when I was going to the airport, uh, we were driving to Bristol and uh, I turned to my Sunday school teacher uh, about you know, three quarters of the way and I asked her a question that was really troubling me. I said to her, how am I going to recognise... Uh, the, the people that are supposed to be the missionaries. And I'll never forget that she turned to me and she said, but Steve, they're Christians. And I didn't want to sound really unspiritual, so I just said, oh, okay. So I then spent the rest of the journey to the airport and the whole time on the plane wondering, well, what, what does a Christian look like? How do I know who these people are just by the description of they're Christians? But I thank the Lord that when I got off the plane and I looked around, they held my name up. (laughs) So I knew who I was supposed to go see. But I couldn't recognise them as Christians just by uh, what they looked like on the outside. And in fact, um, if you were to live around the time of Jesus, if you didn't see what he did and what he said, he didn't look uh, that much different really to anybody else. He would have been... Uh, a man of, n- of no appearance, nothing uh, to behold. But here in this passage today, we're going to see that actually we are supposed to be recognised as Christians. But it's not by our hairstyle, it's not by uh, our dress sense, it's not by anything necessarily uh, about us that people can physically look at in our appearance, but rather it's by our distinctive Influence. Uh, Jesus uses uh, two word pictures in Matthew chapter 5 to describe uh, what a Christian looks like, how it is that we are recognised in this world. And those two words are salt and light. And we find them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. So let's read these verses. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father 
in heaven. We live in a world that is decaying and in a world that is dark. Now the world portrays itself with positive phrases like progressive or enlightened. But the Bible teaches, and we see this if we really look at the world around us, that it is decaying and it is dark. The further the world is from the truth of scripture, the more decayed and dark it becomes. We can see this in wars and fights around the world. We can see this in our own nation as it turns its back on biblical morality, saying that Christians are outdated or regressive and unenlightened and that they need to move with the times. But as the world gets darker, actually the light of the gospel should be shining brighter and God's people will stand out more. As the world moves further away from the Bible, the Christian stands out all the more if we're living this way. And standing out is what Jesus is talking about here. Now remember the context of these verses are the Beatitudes that precede it. Matthew uh, chapter 5 verses 2 down uh, to verse 12. The Beatitudes are a description that we've looked at of what Christians are. This is what a Christian is. It's not a set of commands. It is a description of what a Christian is when God changes their hearts and makes them new. So when you want to know what a Christian looks like, really, you look at the Beatitudes. They are poor in spirit. They are mourners and meek and so on and so forth, which we've looked at all of those meanings. And here, as we come to the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, because we've seen what Christians are, Jesus then says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Notice there's no command here. He does not say, go and be salt and go and be light. Rather, he says, you are salt and you are light. And the reason you are that is because I've made you this way, the way of the Beatitudes. So as we live our Christian lives, as the Beatitudes describe, then we are salt and light in the world around us. You know, and, and that makes sense because if you look at the, the, one of the attributes of salt and light, they are distinctive but they don't make any decisions to be that way. So when you go to the chip shop and you say, yes, I want salt on my chips and they pour salt on, the salt in the bag doesn't say, now, shall we be distinctive in this chip bag today or not? When you switch the light on, the light doesn't make a decision to say, right, well, shall I shine or not shine? The salt makes a difference in the bag of chips. That makes them really nice. The light brings light into the dark room. It just does it. It doesn't make a decision. They are what they are. And in the same way as Christians, as we live how God has made us, we are salt, we are light, we're a distinctive influence. And from verse 11 onwards, Jesus teaches us that as we live out these Beatitudes, these descriptions of Christian character, we will attract attention. So in verses uh, 11 and 12, we attract opposition. That's the attention. It's opposition. That's the, the, it, it, you can describe that as the stamp of the world upon the Christian. The stamp of the world upon the Christian. But also, because we attract attention, 
We are salt and light, a distinctive influence. And salt and light is the, the stamp of the Christian upon the world. You see the difference? We attract opposition, but we are also a distinctive influence. We make, we make a mark in the world. So having seen what the opposition looks like last time, tonight we see what the distinctive influence is in the world. And the Romans had a phrase in, the, in Latin, it is, um, I'm going to try and read it in Latin, because we're teaching about the Reformation in the summer, and there's a lot of Latin words, so I need to learn a little bit of it. So this is the phrase, it says, sole e sale nihil utilius. And it literally means this, uh, nothing is more useful than sun and salt. That was what the Romans used to say, nothing is more useful than sun and salt. And Jesus uses that, that common proverbial saying to say that there is nothing more useful in this world than a Christian who lives as a Christian. And there's two ways that this happens. The first way is salt, making this world better. Now in the ancient world, salt was a symbol of well-being because of what it was used for. It was mainly used either to flavour food or to preserve food. Now we still use it today uh, to flavour food. I mentioned earlier, you go to the chip shop, everyone has salt, don't they? But up until the 1800s, it was used a lot also to preserve, because in the 1800s was when the refrigerator was invented. Now we don't really uh, think about salt being used as a preservative now because we can put things in the fridge. But they were only, refrigerators have only really been used in the home since about 1913. And in Jesus' day, salt was essential as a preservative. They didn't have fridges. And so they would rub the salt into the meat to make it last longer and to not spoil. So it enhances the flavour, but it preserves the food. That's what it was known for. That's what it's still really known for. And the point that Jesus is making here is that Christians live out what they are in the Beatitudes. And as they do so, they influence the society around them in a way which enhances it and preserves it. The Christian influence in the world uh, around it, which is decaying, is like the salt, which although is small in size, has a huge impact in the world around it. God has given uh, the world some common grace institutions that help preserve society. So, for example, um, when I say preserve society, I mean evil not going too far. So he's given us government. He's given us family. They're two good examples of, of, of institutions God's given us so that the world doesn't become as evil as it could be. But the main preservative, the primary preservative in this world that God has placed are Christians. Christians. Well, how is that the case? Well, in a general way, this is the case by the fact that Christians who live out the Beatitudes are part of the world. Salt, in order to enhance or preserve if, and, uh, the meat that it's rubbed into, has to be rubbed into it, rubbed in deep. It is distinct from the meat, but it is rubbed in, you see? It's distinct, but it is rubbed in. And throughout the history of the church, there have been, have been Christians who have believed wrongly that they need to have nothing to do with the world. Let's go and live in a, a, a monastery somewhere and isolate ourselves from anybody in the world because that way we can be really holy. You can see how that's totally alien to what Jesus says here. No, 
being the salt of the, of the earth means you are rubbed into it, but not part of it. Not, you don't become it, you're distinctive, but you are there, rubbed in, deep in the society, but having a distinctive influence. That means we should know and spend time with non-Christians. We should spend time with them, but at the same time, we should be distinctive and different to them. The distinctiveness of the salt is the impact it has, and that's true of the Christian as well. A Christian is one who enhances and preserves what is good in the world around them. So how do we do this? Well, you could think on a, when I was thinking about examples of this, you could think of things on a large, a large scale. So uh, you could think of people like William Wilberforce. He's an example, isn't he? He was the man that led the abolition of the slave trade, a Christian in Parliament that fought for years to see the slave trade abolished. And he did that from a, a Christian standpoint. But actually, salt is lots of little pieces. You know, if, if, you, if, I, if you come to my house for dinner and you, you don't think my food's flavoured well enough, you might say, uh, can I have the salt? But if I was to give you just a grain of salt, you'd think I was crazy, wouldn't you? But the salt here is, is lots of, it's lots of things, isn't it? And so we have an influence not by uh, necessarily just focusing on one thing, but in lots of areas in our life. And lots of Christians in the world together have a great influence in the society around us. So here's some examples. You influence your work colleagues at work by hard work. By not, um, when I was at, um, uh, in an office environment, I used to um, see people all the time stealing uh, pencils. You know, they, they thought that was fine, it's only a pencil. But a Christian should be different. We shouldn't steal uh, anything from work. That can be an influence. Not slacking on the job, stealing time by not working. Not cheating on your expenses, all those kind of things. Perhaps when you're at school or at work, uh, people know that when you're around, they don't swear. They know you don't like it, so they'll want to stop. They don't tell you the smutty jokes because they know that you're a Christian and you don't like that. Saying thank you. And giving words of encouragement rather than complaining is a great influence. You know, the, the, we live in a very complainy culture, very moany. And if you don't moan and you don't complain and you encourage, you can be a great influence in the world around you. And in fact, it, uh, it, it, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says that our conversation should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. In your home, your children should see you as a person of integrity. You do what you say you will do. You practice in your life what you say you believe in the Bible. You know, a child can sniff out a hypocrite quicker than anybody. If you tell them this is what the Bible says you should do and you're not doing it, they will notice it straight away. Perhaps uh, with your friends, they won't do something if you're there. I remember uh, there was a young person uh, that refused to watch an inappropriate film when they were at their friend's house. They said, no, my parents will not allow me to do it. And they didn't. It would have had an influence on their friends when they said, no, I won't do that. 
There's examples. I mean, you could go on all night with examples, but being that positive influence in the world around us. And as a church, we can be salt in our community by having a positive influence on the community around us. So this is just living biblically. Living biblically will enhance the lives of those around you and will prevent some being as evil as they could be. So we are the salt of the earth. This is what we are. But Jesus gives a warning too. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, "How can it be? Um, if, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, if any of you uh, are into chemistry, you will know that salt is a stable compound. Salt cannot become less salty. But actually here, what, was hap- what happened in, in these days was when they would get the salt, it couldn't become less than salt on its own, but it could become contaminated with impurities or minerals that would be mixed in with the salt. And when that was the case, it couldn't be used as salt, but it also couldn't be uh, thrown into fields because it would kill the crops. It was totally useless. So can you see what Jesus is saying? Losing our saltiness occurs when we contaminate ourselves with the world's impurities. It's not that we're no longer salt, it's that we're contaminated and we become useless. This isn't talking about losing salvation. It's talking about being useless as a Christian. On its own, salt cannot lose its saltiness. But when it's contaminated, it can be useless. So as Christians, when we, if we decide we're going to, we're going to go along with the world's you know, sexual ethics, for example, of sleep with whoever you want to, whenever you want, rather than the Bible's beautiful and God-given design of sexual relationship in marriage, if we go along with, with, and leave the Bible and say, well, I'm going to do my own thing, we lose our saltiness. When we go along with the world's attitude of just do what you feel like, rather than trusting in God, who says that true joy comes through obedience, well, then we lose our saltiness. When we go along with the world's attitude of gain as much stuff as you, as you can, uh, rather than the biblical principle of generosity, we lose our saltiness. When we allow the the seedy rubbish that the world regards as entertainment into our hearts and we look at those images and we we listen to those words that are, are just ungodly and we allow that into our lives, we lose our saltiness. When we spend no time with God in private, we lose our saltiness. When we have secret sins that we allow to continue unaccounted for, we lose our saltiness. There is a great tragedy in much of what calls itself the church today that believe that in order to be able to influence society, they must accept everything and become like the society around it. And Jesus says, no, you are the salt of the earth. You are distinctive in how you live for Jesus. You are different. You are rubbed in and you are involved, but you are different. And you are a distinctive influence. And in fact, the word, uh, that what we, when we read here, lose, uh, loses its saltiness. In the original uh, languages, there, it's, it's one main word, which is a Greek word called moreno. And from that word, we get our English word, moron. And it's basically Jesus saying, you are salt. 
But if you decide to contaminate yourself with the things of this world so that you lose your saltiness, you are foolish. It is a foolish thing to do because you become useless for God. So when we look at salt, it's making this world better and it's more uh, of a hidden and silent influence, I think, as we look at the, what salt is, hidden and silent in the way that we live. But there is nothing silent or hidden about the next word picture. In verses 14 to 16, Jesus talks of light, which is pointing to a better world. The implication here is that uh, the world is in darkness, uh, despite the fact it says it's enlightened. And light exposes darkness by revealing truth. And it's an easy illustration, I think, for us to understand. In fact, Christians being a light is an illustration picked up in other areas of the New Testament. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, we read how Paul describes Christians uh, as shining in the world like stars in the sky. So, Light is an example of how, uh, uh, that is used throughout the New Testament of how Christians live. We are lights in this world. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, the word you, which is also in verse 13, you are the salt, you are the light, uh, is talking to the disciples. So the world is the place where we are, so we must be among the people of the world, but light is how we live, and salt is how we live. So we're distinctive in our influence within the world. This is what Christians are. They are salt, and here they are light. And again, like like with the salt, light is what we are. Notice, a town on a hill, built on a hill, cannot be hidden. Notice that word, cannot. It cannot be hidden. It's impossible to hide it. Now, like with um, us now having fridge freezers, so we lose kind of the impact of salt, I think we can lose the impact of this when we have lights on all the time in our world because um, I don't know if many of us know what it really is like to be in real darkness because even when it's dark at night even when I used to go camping on the moors in Devon if you looked at the clouds the clouds reflected the light of the towns underneath it the darkest place I've ever been actually was the, was the toilet where I used to work because there's no windows in there and some people would think it would be funny when you're in there to turn the lights out and you couldn't find your way out so that it was, but it's pitch black. But Jesus is talking here of pitch, pitch blackness. You cannot see, but there's a light, a city on a hill. And because of its light, it's impossible for that city to be hidden. It's impossible. Even in a dark place, the light is shining. But the point here is that word cannot. The town cannot be hidden. It cannot help but radiate its light. And again, you are the light of the world. This is what you are. And as you're living as a Christian, you cannot be hidden. It's impossible for you to be hidden as these beatitudes are lived out in your life. If we are Christians, our faith in Jesus is obvious. Or at least, if we don't hide it. And that's where Jesus moves on in verse 14. We have this ridiculous, frankly, illustration. It says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Now, 
how stupid would it be to light the lamp which is with the intention of, of giving light and then put a bowl over it? I mean, when, when do you turn the lights on? When it gets dark. So it would be like, you know, in, in, you know, I'm putting it in my own house. We turn the light on because we can't see and then we get something and we, we, we stick it over the light bulb so that we can't see the light bulb. I mean, it's stupid, isn't it? I mean, I'd get really irritated because it would cost money. It would, it would cost. It's a, a ridiculous thing to do. You don't turn the light on and then get a bowl and put it underneath it. Or in this instance, they use candles, put the bowl perhaps over it. You see, it's a stupid thing to do. But that's what Jesus is saying. You don't become, you don't be a Christian and then you're, you've, you're, this, you're the light of the world and then get a bowl and cover yourself. No, Jesus says, in the, say, in, in the next part of the verse, instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You don't hide the light. You, you put this candle on a candlestick. And then you put it somewhere so that everyone in the house can benefit from the light of that candle. And in that same way, Jesus says in verse 16, in the way that you are a, a candle on a stand giving light to the whole house, in the same way as that, let your light shine before others. Not in the way of hiding it, in the way of on a stand. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, for those that perhaps know this Sermon on the Mount really well, you may feel, is there a contradiction here? If you just turn to the next chapter, in verse, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus says uh, these words, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. And then Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen of them. But notice the difference is in the motive. You see, why is it in chapter 6, verse 1, where he's talking about the Pharisees, why do they do it to be seen? Uh, why do they do it? It's in order to be seen by others. They want to be seen and applauded for their good works. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, there's a different motive for us, isn't there? Why? That they may see your good deeds, yes, but they glorify your Father in heaven. They glorify your Father in heaven. There's no contradiction here. In chapter 6, verse 1, it's to be seen by others and applauded by them. But here Jesus says, no, be a candle on that stick, shining for all to see, so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. And also, if we are living out these Beatitudes, especially at the beginning, being poor in spirit, then we're not going to want to shout about ourselves and say how wonderful we are. No, rather we say, to God be the glory. In, in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Earlier in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, we read about Jesus being uh, a light again. In, ch in chapter 4 verse 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light that is shining and he is the one that we reflect we, and we shine and point towards. You see, the spotlight is not on ourselves. 
But we glorify our Father in heaven. We glorify Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. All that we do should say, there is Jesus. Look at him. Look at this light. He is the light of the world. And in fact, when we read here good deeds in verse 16, the word for good here uh, is not just talking about quality, but is talking about attractiveness, beauty, winsomeness. In other words, the way that we live our lives should be in such a way that when people look at us, they see it as attractive and, and, and beautiful and winsome. And they wonder, what is that? What is, why are you like that? And then we can say, because of Jesus. And I give him the glory. We've read something similar in 1 Peter chapter 2 earlier on. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Even when they accuse you of wrong, they still see your good deeds and they still glorify God. As I read that, I was um, thinking about, I've been studying recently about a, a man called William Tyndale. He translated the Bible into English during the time of the Reformation. And he, the English Bible was banned in this country. He had to go into exile and escape so that on the continent he could translate the Bible and he would secretly send it into England. And he had a great enemy. He had lots of enemies, but his greatest enemy was the Roman Catholic, Sir Thomas More. And More wrote hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words, words which are so vile, um, full of swearing, awful things about Tyndale that I couldn't even read from the pulpit. It, it, it was disgusting. Thou hundreds of thousands of words, his most bitter enemy. But Tyndale was known for his godliness. And this is what his great enemy, Thomas More, said about him. But, uh, he, he said that Tyndale was a man of sober and honest living who looked and preached holily. More said that his only fault was his gospel. You see, More hated Tyndale. He hated everything he stood for, but he never accused Tyndale of actually doing sin, only how he hated his gospel. Tyndale was a light. He shined brightly for Jesus. He died for, for um, believing that the Bible should be read in English. But even his worst enemy was able to say he lived and he preached holily. Could people say that about us? Could they look at our lives and say, that person, just they love Jesus. You can just see they, they live for him. Lights in the world. So the light of God shines through his people in, in word and in deed. The salt is secret and hidden, but the light is visible Christianity. Where we talk about Jesus and where we put our talk into action. It's visible faith that brings glory to our God. So how ridiculous it is to hide it. If God has lit us as lamps to show his glory, it's ridiculous to try and put that under a bowl. And notice how these verses come off the back of the ones on persecution. 
The temptation when we're being insulted and ridiculed is to hide away and conform. But Jesus says, no, be a light. Take a stand and shine to all that are around you. So when you have opportunities to talk about Jesus, take them. Take them and tell them about our wonderful Saviour who is the light of the world. One way that, um, just on a very practical element, that I found it useful was um, when I was in the office, on a Monday, people would always say, what did you do at the weekend? And it's a great opportunity to say, I did this on Saturday, but on Sunday I went to church and I heard this sermon. And, and just give them the main bullets. You know, just a, a, an example, you can do that with your family. If you phone them up and they say, oh, what have you been doing? Well, I went to church and this is what I heard. You know, So it's talking about Jesus, taking those opportunities where we can. You know, I heard one uh, youth speaker one time uh, talk about how great it was to have our Bibles now on our phones because you can hide them away. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's not a bad thing to have the Bible on your phone, but the reason shouldn't be because now I can hide it. And in fact, if that's the reason you've got it on your phone, take a real one and have it open so we all can see. But having a Bible where people can see it draws questions and you can have conversations. But when you do something good and people come and they say, oh, that was really good, give glory to God. Because if you hide your light or you take the glory yourselves, you're robbing God of the glory he made you for. He's put you as a candlestick in this world to shine brightly in whatever house that you're in. Don't put a bowl over it and hide it away. So where is your stand? Where is, where, where is it that, that you're there as a candle? Where is it that God has placed you? Is it your workplace? Your home? Your school? On the playground as a parent? Your, your youth or children's work that you're involved in? Your next door neighbour at the golf club or the football club? All of these places, wherever you are, God has said, you are my light that I have placed here to give light to that place around you. Where is it that you are? Where God has put you? Be a light, shining. But just do that by living as a Christian. Live out these Beatitudes and you are the light of the world. Do people in these places know that you are a Christian? Can they see as you live your life, that you are different, you are distinctive? Or do you conform and hide? Reading this passage made me realise how easy it is for me to conform and to hide. It's such an easy thing to do. But it's also completely ridiculous in the illustrations Jesus gives, isn't it? Uh, Don Carson wrote this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said... The norms of the kingdom, which are the Beatitudes, worked out in the lives of the heirs of the kingdom, constitute the witness of the kingdom. The norms of the kingdom, worked out in the lives of the heirs of the kingdom, constitute the witness of the kingdom. In other words, living, out as a, living a Christian life is a distinctive influence. And also this passage answers some common lies that we hear about Christians in the world. It answers the lie that Christians need to be like the world in order to win the world. No. We influence like salt in food and as lights on a stand. 
It answers the lie that we can be inconspicuous as Christians, that we can live lives under the radar. No, we are the lights of the world. It answers the lie that Christianity is losing its influence. You, you hear that all the time. Christianity is losing its influence. And in a sense, uh, Christians and churches which are losing their saltiness and their light, and they're hiding their light, they are losing their influence. But a Christian who lives out their faith, and a church which is living as a church ought to live, will never lose their influence. They will always be distinctive, because they're being what God has called them to be. That's not to say that will change legislation in Parliament. That's not what we're about. But we will have an influence because we will be salt and light in the world. We will make a difference. As we close, it would be easy for me to say, okay, guys, go, be salt and light. But that would be wrong. The challenge isn't us for us to go out and try and be salty and be light. Rather, the challenge is for us to live out what we already are. Because when we live out the Beatitudes, the character that God has given us, then we are salt, and we are light, and we will give glory to our Father in heaven. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach uh, was uh, salt and light in the music that he performed. And on the bottom of every piece of music, he would write the initials, S-D-G, which stand for Soli Deo Gloria, which means in English, to God alone be glory. See, he sought to influence through his music, but he wanted to give glory to God in what he did. And those initials, Sole Deo Gloria, should be on our lives. They should be the imprint on our lives. That all we do gives glory to God alone. And that's what we're going to sing in our final song before we come to the Lord's table. It's a song uh, that resolves to do just that. To give God the glory. Sole Deo Gloria. So after we have sung, uh, then we'll come and meet around the Lord's table.